Well, we're in John chapter 9. It's on page 1064. John chapter 9. And we're on the sixth sign in our sermon series that goes through the signs in John. This chapter is about a spiritually about spiritually blind men asking a once physically blind man how he sees. The blind asking the seeing how he sees. And even more important to keep this in mind as we read, remember the truth from the first 18 verses in John, that Jesus came into the world as the light. In other words, to do the works of God. But that the people loved the darkness rather than the light. In other words, they loved the works of man. So try to follow this event in that way. It's not just about a blind man who is healed and becomes a believer. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to read the whole chapter, John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become a disciple of his? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Brothers and sisters, we'll be using verse 39 as a preaching text this morning, but it will represent the whole chapter of John 9. He says, For judgment I came into this world, And we're going to be looking through this miracle of the blind man and seeing the deeper spiritual meaning that we have. And the first point, a man born blind, shows us the world that Jesus enters into, a world of blindness and darkness. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. That's the second point. And that thirdly, those who see may become blind. But we'll be looking through those through the lens of the healing of the blind man. So the sixth sign, Jesus reveals, he is a light sent into the world. And our points are very simple. One, a man born blind. Two, a man given sight. And three, a man rejected. So we'll start with one, a man born blind. And I'll just read the first couple of verses. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Brothers and sisters, let's say after the worship service, we all went downstairs, gathered around tables, and started listing out our various trials and hardships. And this may sound a little strange, but then the elders went around, and they looked at what we were wearing, what colors our clothes were, and they filled out little forms, and based off of that, what we were wearing, they determined which of our trials we had caused by by our own sins. And that's essentially what's happening here. The Jews had determined that anyone who was blind or lame, in this case this blind man, was a sin, and that sin had caused this blindness. Of course, there's a little bit of a a problem for them because he was born born blind. So what are they going to do about that? Did he sin? Well, that's now this debate that they have. Was it him or his parents now who sinned? Well, it's definitely true that there was a sinner involved. And Actually, if we notice here, this is the disciples that are asking this question. That's how far this teaching had gone, that it was just assumed. And, of course, it just so happens that this system 
that they had created that determines who's righteous and who is not, who knows God, who's closest to God, and who's far from God, this system that they had made, of course, is beneficial for the leaders of the Jews. Again, John calls them the Jews, so I may call them that. That's the leader of the Jews that we're speaking about. It's like if you play a game, maybe Monopoly or something, with your brother or sister, and they say, these are the rules that we play by, and of course, those rules just happen to benefit them, right, every time, it seems like. And here, with the leader of the Jews, that was the case. And at the end of this chapter 9, they said, are we also blind? In other words, that was sarcasm, that, that it was so well known that the leaders of the Jews themselves could not be blind. Everyone knows that they couldn't be spiritually sinful, that they were closest to God, and so they're using that as an argument. And this is the state of the people of Israel. This is the world that Christ is going into, a world of darkness and blindness. And Jesus comes as a light in the darkness. And I want to focus on this darkness for a couple of minutes, because how can you determine anything in the dark? Let's say another silly illustration. If you, if, if you had a bunch of people and they had lottery tickets and they go into a room and they each memorize the lottery ticket number and then someone flips the light switch off so no one can see anything and then they call out the numbers for the tickets, one man's, you know, I have that number, but they don't turn the lights on, how can that be proven, right? And here we have a similar situation in the darkness, the spiritual darkness of Israel, and we have men saying that they're the closest to God. <clears throat> well, how can they prove it in the dark? Christ coming to them is like the light being switched on in the room. So, so the state of everyone's spiritual being will be known because they'll either love Christ or reject Christ. And I thought it was very appropriate that a miracle that points to Christ enlightening the world, letting everyone know who is a believer and who's not a believer, isn't it amazing that it starts off with this question of, does this man sin or not? They don't know. There's a confusion over sin. And we know that that darkness, this darkness and blindness, is still in our culture today. People talk about having their own truths. There's no actual truth. I have my truth. And of course, that's because any singular truth would point to a standard. And the problem with a standard is that, well, then we're sinners because none of us can hold up to any kind of standard. And that's the real problem, isn't it? Us sinners. Well, instead of us saying we're sinners, isn't it just easier to say that, that no one's a sinner? There's nothing wrong, nothing's off limits, there's no standards, of course, except for whatever is the, the hot political item of the day, you know, whatever the crowd says is good, is good. In the darkness, we as man determine the rules. Well, we were talking about the culture, but the truth is that we have the same issues in our own hearts, don't we? I sense this in myself sometimes as well, where what standard are we using to live our lives. It's easy to look at the world and just take a couple steps back from where the world is. And sometimes you might meet a Christian and say, well, they're living an extremist life. But there are times where that person is actually using the Lord as his reference and the word of God. And it might be easier for us sometimes to say, well, here's the world and this Christian over here is 10 steps back from that. So maybe the right answer is five steps, somewhere in between. And it's that moment, brothers and sisters, where we're using ourselves as our own standards. So we are also guilty of the same thing. So Jesus, the light, is stepping into a world of blindness and darkness. And the kingdom of darkness was powerful on earth at that time. In fact, one of the first things that happens in Mark and in his, his ministry, he reads the law of God and there's a demon-possessed man that's in the, in the synagogue, the church, essentially, for you kids at the time. The, the, dark, the kingdom of darkness was, was, was well spread at the time of Christ. 
Jesus is also very clear that the leaders were sons of the devil. He says that to them. And of course, they don't recognize him because they're completely spiritually blind. So they also accuse him of being the son of the devil. Well, it's rather that they had contorted everything, the Jews, into a system of laws that they could follow that would be sure, that would sure up their good standing before the people. They are shepherds, the leaders, that feed on the sheep rather than those that rather than to protect them. And John uh, Christ talks about this in John ten too, that the thief that they are there to thief to to steal and to eat the sheep, to kill the sheep, and this was a system of the day that helped mask the truth underneath the system they had made. And it's the same system that we have today. It's the same system that will always be the case if we ever look outside of Christ, and that's works righteousness. And Jesus came to reveal the truth about this false system. And all of this darkness and this blindness was represented by this poor blind man. And it's important to note that when Jesus says it was not that this man sinned that he is blind, Jesus doesn't mean that the blind man has no sin at all, but just that the system that the disciples were referring to was a lie, that the idea of him doing a particular sin which causes particular blindness was incorrect. Because ultimately we do know that because of sin, the fall happened, and that's where all of this entered. That when man and woman called God a liar in their heart and broke away from his communion in the fall, everything changed. It brought in the curse of death and painful toil, meaninglessness, and all the things that made this man suffer. He wasn't able to work or have a family. He sat in darkness day in and day out and waited for his daily bread. And this is the picture of all mankind outside of the Lord. Meaningless, blind, unable to save themselves, and with no answers. But then God comes in with grace to save, which leads us to our second point. Point two, a man given sight. And I'll pick up at verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So I want to step back for a second into the the shoes of this poor blind man. This man is completely helpless, begging for scraps of food every day. But even more than that, he lived a life of shame. Not just because he was begging for food, but if you imagine that they believed that this was sin that caused it. So if you you can imagine maybe a family, mother and father with their children walking by this man who's begging for food, and they're thinking, children, this is an example of when you sin, this could happen to you. Now there were those, of course, that would take care of him, I'm sure, but it was a life of shame. It's true that his family also distanced themselves as well. You can hear in their answer to the Pharisees when they come and ask them. They, you know, they say, ask him. They're not willing to stick their necks out for him. But it also makes sense because if you look at the disciples, what did the disciples say? They said, is it this man's sin or his parents' sin? So it's the type of thing where not only did this man live a life of shame, but those around him would experience that as well. And so here, this man lays, begging to survive for food, alone and rejected by society. And then, as he just said, Jesus passes by, 
and he sees this man. And when he looks at him, it's not like when we look at somebody. It's more like a father seeing his child, seeing his child in this state. Because Christ knows this man. He knows the answers to all this man's questions, the things that this man doesn't even know about himself. Why was I born like this? Why am I alive? What's the purpose of my life? To beg? Isn't this a picture of what a lost sheep looks like? And it's so true that these are the questions that people have deep underneath. And Hollywood, of course, tries to just entertain enough if it's enough action sequences, if it's shallow enough, just keeps, if it's flashy enough, we won't ask these questions. But these are the real questions. Why am I alive? What's the point? This man was a lost sheep of Jesus. He knows, and Jesus knows all this man's suffering. And he knew that even after he healed him, things were not going to be easy for him, as we see in this chapter. But more than all that, Jesus loved this man. He came to die for him so that he wouldn't just gain back his sight, that Jesus wouldn't just know him for a moment, but that he would be able to spend eternity with his Savior. And it is always important for us to know that Jesus' knowledge of our struggles, of this man's struggles, it's not just head knowledge, because Christ came in the flesh and he suffered, even by temptations, though without sinning. And so this man, this blind man, probably knew many nights of hunger where people didn't give him bread. But Christ also knew hunger. There's many times where he didn't eat because he was busy doing the Father's will, which was his bread. This man, blind man, was poor, and Christ as well didn't have anything in the world because he's not of the world. This man, like we spoke before, is rejected. Christ is rejected by the world, and even at his cross, his disciples leave him, most of them. As we said, this man is shamed. Christ is falsely accused by a mock court, a mock trial. He's made a spectacle to the world. Hundreds of soldiers come and beat him and spit on him. People are disgusted with this blind man because of a sin, or his assumed sin. But what about Jesus? People are disgusted for the same reason, because Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus dealt and healed men like this blind man. He touched lepers. But there is a difference between the two, and it's an important difference. Because the blind man suffered these things because he was helpless. And Christ, the king of all kings, suffers this willingly and on our behalf. Yes, when Jesus saw this man, he knew this man more than this man knew himself. And this is the gospel in a snapshot. It's why Jesus came, that those who do not see may see. And just as we saw in John 5, That Jesus works the works of the Father. Jesus comes to save and not lose a single one that the Father calls to him. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 4 and 5. Jesus is the very glory of God, the light to the world, that brings the illumination of the will of the Father to all people. And what is the will of the Father? But that those that believe in the Son would no longer live lives in darkness, meaningless lives, but to come to receive his salvation and eternal life. And regarding this, Jesus is still going out into this world, this world of darkness and blindness, to bring God's grace to all. 
And above all that, this morning, you must know that he died for you, who he made. So let's not go back to the street to beg for food, but rather to look to Jesus for all we need. And so this man meets Jesus, and his life changes, and he obeys Jesus' command to go and wash his eyes, eyes that have been anointed, as the word says, eyes that have been washed by Christ, so ceremonial washing, just as we saw in, the second, in John chapter 2 at the wedding. And where does he wash? But in Siloam, which means sent. How many times can John draw our attention to the fact that Jesus, the Son, sent from the Father? But John doesn't end the account of this miracle here, which leads us to our final point. Point number three, a man rejected. Have you ever wondered what happened to people that were healed by Jesus? Like, what did their life look like after that? Well, John captures what happens to this man after he's healed. And it's both sad and wonderful. It's sad, of course, because we see that this man is rejected because he is not willing to deny Jesus. In fact, it's stated here in verse uh, 20, um, 22, 22. Anyway, it's stated that the Jews uh, have said anyone who says that Jesus is the Christ would be excommunicated, essentially excommunicated, and really even more than that, they would be shunned from the whole Jewish community. Anyone that would say Jesus is the, is the Christ. And they were ruled over by Rome at the time, and Rome had this idea of peace, and their idea of peace, which is similar to our idea nowadays, was just that people would be quiet. Peace wasn't really happiness. Just don't make a ruckus. Make sure everyone's quiet. Well, that's kind of what we had here with the Jews. But here it is. This man is healed, and the crowd starts, people start talking about it. I know this man. I know this man. And for the Jews, they're thinking, oh, no. Here goes. Christ has healed someone again. Who is it? Who did he heal? And when they start seeing who they healed, they're probably thinking, oh, not this guy. Everyone knows this guy. Couldn't it have been a guy that, that showed up last week? No, this was going to make a problem for them. This was going to make things awkward for people. Maybe they thought he'll be quiet. Maybe they can get them to twist his arm a little bit. But no, that didn't happen. So they bring him to the leaders of the Jews. And then exactly what they didn't want to happen, happens. I mean, they're not stupid. They're manipulative. But they couldn't stop this. So a debate breaks out about what? Whether Jesus is from the Father or not. Couldn't it have been just about this man's eyes? It's about Jesus. Some say Jesus is not God because he does his works on the Sabbath. Now, of course, we looked at that in John chapter 5, but in the very fact that he does these things on the Sabbath is what he's always done on the Sabbath and always will do in the Lord's day shows that he is God. And others say that he must be from God because he displays the power of God in his healing miracles. Then they ask the man, the, blind, the once blind man that sees now, what he says about Jesus, probably assuming that the man will cave. They've said enough. He should know. Again, we already know that they've threatened everybody about this. But the man doesn't cave, saying that Jesus is from God. He calls him a prophet. So then what's their answer? Well, now they need to go to the parents. Maybe the parents will, maybe we could twist their arm too, and they'll deny that this man was blind. But they kind of really stay out of the whole thing. They don't lie, and they don't, they don't want to be involved in it. So they, they kind of brush, they're kind of brushed off. And they come back now to this man, and it's almost like they're saying, you have one last chance. They make it really clear what the man has to say and that he, can't, that he has to deny Christ. And that's where they hit into a wall. 
And it's probably the wall that they're most afraid of, and it's the wall that they don't understand themselves, and that wall is true faith. And in this case of this man especially, it's faith like a child. To them, it's the worst kind, because it's the strongest kind. This man was blind from birth and spent his life begging for bread. He was not an educated man and probably did not have many conversations with others. And we see here he was like a child. Sometimes it sounds like he's being sarcastic in his answers, but actually for the Pharisees it was so much worse than sarcasm because it was truth and it was like being embarrassed by an eight-year-old child. In verse 27, and when they come and ask him again, he's almost saying, why are you asking me this again? Why does it concern you so much? Do you want to become his disciples just like me? Imagine the voice of a child. But then they become nasty. It says, they reviled him. They're saying that they don't know where Jesus comes from. And if we pause just for a second here and we think about this, this man in his simplicity is about to teach them the basics of math. One plus one is two. But of course, he's talking about the doctrine of God here. Who is God? This man, this blind man that's seeing now, he's amazed that the teachers of Israel don't know that Jesus must be from God for the healing to be able to open the eyes of a blind man. And in today's world, too, it can be similar. If you talk to a child about some of the things the world says is truth, the child might be amazed that that's what the world is trying to get us to understand. And I think, too, there's application for us that we would pray that we'd have faith like a child as well to be able to speak truth like this to people. It's not easy. But this situation happens when a false system is forced on people and they're told they cannot question it. And then the people themselves within that system forget how ridiculous their lies actually are. The leader of the Jews, the teachers of Israel, are being embarrassed by this childlike logic. He says, how amazing that you, the teachers of Israel, don't know this. He must be born from God, for he heals by the power of God. Then comes a reaction that will always come from those that hate the light when the light appears. Why was this man born blind? It comes up at the beginning of the chapter. Christ says, so that the works of God may be displayed in him. In his eyes, yes, the healing of his eyes, but much more so his heart, and as we see here, his words. The glory of God is most evident in our weakness. If you know, how long was this man born or blind for from birth? Again, if this were someone who had showed up a week later, that would probably have been easier, but it's not. And we see that again with the lame man that we talked about too, 38 years lame. And Peter and John also healed a lame man for 40 years. And so it's so true that in our trials and our weaknesses, we have to remember that the glory of God shows all the more to the world. And the reaction to him is rejection by those who hate God because he's revealing God to them. So this man is essentially, as I said, excommunicated or shunned by the community. And then we have another beautiful picture. Between verse 34 and verse 35, they said, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now if we pause right there, we don't know the amount of time that goes between him being cast out and Christ having heard that they cast him out. 
Could have been days, maybe weeks, we don't know. Maybe it was not a very short, maybe it was a short time, we don't really know that. But we can understand that the man is rejected again. He was rejected because of his blindness, now he's no longer blind. Maybe he thought that would allow him to be accepted, that makes sense, by the community. But here he is, speaking the truth of the Lord, and now he's rejected again, cast out. Probably worse than he was initially. A sinner, yet again, and shamed. But then, verse 35, his shepherd finds him. And again, this man doesn't fully know who Jesus is, but he's been given a new heart. It just shows us it has to be the work of the Father to draw. Because he's waiting to believe. Show me who he is. And actually, during this time, this man would have been seeing the faces of many people he knew for the first time. Those that probably reviled him, but those that also loved and cared for him. And here he is now seeing his Savior's face clearly for the first time. Imagine he's out there. It it reminds me maybe of a child like in a mall if the child is lost, if that's ever happened to you guys. You know, maybe a couple hours, and then it gets really scary. And then you hear your parent's voice. Well, that's like this man. When Christ comes to him hearing the voice of a shepherd, Well, this chapter ends, really, with what could be a stark warning. I mean, the last couple words say, your guilt remains. Because it ends with the Jews saying to Jesus, are you saying that we could possibly be blind? We who know the scriptures, we who who have even gone beyond the scriptures, we are the blood of Abraham those that have the sign of your covenant, everything outward looked like they were God's children. But it must be an inward and personal change. Jesus tells them, your guilt remains. So especially for those of us who have grown up in the church, who have been blessed by it, and for you children who are getting to that age, you must remember that there is only one way to heaven, and that's Christ Jesus. But be encouraged because he came for that very reason, to make your blindness sight. And just quickly, as we close, I want to read, let's read John 3.16 together. John 3.16 through 21. You may have this memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his world into the world I'm sorry, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, and that's what our passage talks about. Christ came in the world for judgment. That the light has come into the world to reveal the work of God, and people love the darkness, the works of man, rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus came to us. And so what should we do but repent and believe? Amen. Let's pray together. 
Our Father and our God, we praise you. And we pray more and more that you would give us faith as this man had. Faith that would allow you to work through us. You have given us the grace of your Son. And so we pray, Lord, that we would speak his name to others. Pray that you would be with us as we continue our worship. Bless it to our hearts that we may sing out of a love for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.